It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Well, let's talk to Sir Desmond Sway now, Tory MP, former International Development Minister and one of those who uh, was rebelling against the government on the issue of the emergence legislation and wanting MPs to have a say uh, and a whole of Parliament to have a say and a vote on uh, items of uh, well, lockdown rules and the like, rather than the government ruling by decree. Sir Desmond, thanks for joining us. Morning. Morning. Um, just your first re- instant reaction to these, uh, this technical glitch in the £12 billion test and trace system. What do you make well, of it? Yeah, I can't get particularly excited about blaming ministers for what is a technical problem uh, with a computer system. Maybe people, oh, the minister must be responsible, you know. And, uh, and Who was doing that? I wasn't blaming a minister. Say again? I wasn't blaming a minister. I, I wasn't for one moment saying that you were. But the Labour Party is demanding a statement and this is a shambles and all the rest. Look, it's a computer problem. Get it. Get a life. Well, hold on a minute. It's a computer problem. We're spending twelve billion pounds of taxpayers' money on that's not going on other things. Um, presumably, the person in charge of the technical system should go. I mean, I'm sorry. In any other walk of life, if you did your job that badly, you'd be out on your ear. I I worked in computers um, uh, at a major uh, commercial bank before I came into Parliament. And there were computer problems all the time. I used to install computer systems. They always go wrong. It's in their nature. Okay, right. So we're just going to accept that we'll we'll spend 12 billion quid and it'll be rubbish. For those of us who actually, and I I know we've we've discussed this before, who question actually whether or not we should be testing on the basis we are doing. And actually, and as as Benedict Spence was just saying, the testing regime is almost what is keeping us in in, in the lockdown situation. I suppose suppose this could work both ways. Let's talk about the lockdowns, though. The government apparently has been looking at, and hasn't signed off on yet, but looking at a draft traffic light system. So a three-tier lockdown system and that would be uh, national or of a local lockdowns, but you would know you're a tier one, tier two or tier three. Tier three meaning a ban on households mixing, pubs and restaurants closed down completely, not just at 10pm. The idea would be to simplify things, presumably so local people would know what they can and can't do. And indeed, the Prime Minister might have a clue when he's doing interviews ahead of a Tory party conference, what measures are actually in place in any different part of the country. It sounds pretty complicated to me. It sounds like a recipe for chaos. And now, now, now we tier one or tier two. Now, oh, we're tier one. So that does mean, you know, it, it, it'd be chaotic, frankly. You don't think it'll work? No. <laughs> Any more than anything else has worked. 
Well, that's the question. One in three Britons right now are living under tougher restrictions than the rest of the country as of today, um, despite an awful lot of data that's showing lo- local lockdowns don't actually work in most places. Um, I mean, it, it, apart from Luton, which they had a local lockdown and then they saw figures go down, but I think they're now going back up again. Leicester, where figures basically, they, they, they've gone back up again uh, since uh, having the lockdown. Many parts of the country that have had weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of local lockdowns, their figures are still going up. Um, when we're not seeing areas where, like the southwest and large parts of the southeast, we're not seeing uh, cases rise for them. Does this suggest to you that local lockdowns are not the solution? Um, well, many of us are under a national lockdown in terms of uh, how many people we can meet or when we can go, uh, at, when we have to leave a pub at night and etc. Um, I'm deeply sceptical as to whether any kind of lockdown works. If you look at the trajectory of the disease from March onwards across Europe, uh, the shape of the curve is exactly the same, almost identical yeah. In every jurisdiction, notwithstanding the different measures that were taken. And so it begs the question as to whether any of this activity and the economic damage that it does actually is having an impact on the disease. In which case we're having huge economic costs, huge infringements of our personal liberty without actually any, any benefit in terms of the numbers of people who catch the virus and die of the virus. I'm afraid that is what I fear. I mean, you, like me, though, I think supported the lockdown at the beginning on the basis that, you know, we didn't want the NHS to be overwhelmed. We didn't know the severity of the disease. We didn't know that it was mostly hitting elderly people um, and that the death rate was not going to be as high as, as many had been. Um, so in the early days of the lockdown, I mean, I fully, fully supported that. Um, I, I already had the virus. I was, I was in lockdown before, before other people. Um, the argument since then, though, and I think people were making that argument from, you know, certainly late April, early May onwards, which is that, OK, we're over the peak. Um, the, the protecting the NHS argument uh, no longer holds. Uh, well, I, 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 I tend to agree. Um, I think the problem is, I, I, frankly, I never, I never supported the lockdown. I would have supported a number of measures to um, attempt to, as they said at the time, flatten the curve. Remember, the strategy was to, to protect the NHS by flattening the curve so that the it was accepted that the infection was going to grow in the community, but we wanted to push it into the summer. One, because there wouldn't be the winter flu and novovirus pressures on the NHS. And two, because there was a suspicion that because this was another coronavirus, it would abate in the warmer summer months. And that would be the time in which implicitly, I believe, the, the, the expectation was that we could then build up our herd immunity as the disease spread more widely in the community. But in the event, we went for a very harsh lockdown. Um, and when the summer months came, we only reduced it at the margins. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and therefore, in my view, tended to waste 
the, the herd immunity that we might have gained over the summer. Just finally, um, latest polls showing yet again that there's huge support for, for lockdowns. Um, a poll for the Sunday Mirror uh, was, was yesterday suggested, you know, vast majority of people would support um, no household mixing, pubs and restaurants closed altogether, not just a 10pm curfew and the like. Um, why do you think so many people still support those measures? Well, um, I wonder if people are telling pollsters one thing and doing another. Uh, but, but nevertheless, I, I think that it comes down to the fact that people have been terrified. They've been told that you know there's a there's a, a frightful, um, frightfully dangerous disease stalking the country, and um, they've got to be aware of that. More people are dying of flu at the moment. It's a small point worth making. Sir Desmond Swain, Tory MP, former International Development Minister, thank you very much. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Christopher Mayer, he's former UK ambassador to the United States. Good morning, Chief Christopher. Good morning to you, Julia. Good morning. Um, We are seeing, I mean, just the most extraordinary uh, October surprise, as it's often been called, uh, that we could ever have seen with uh, Donald Trump facing a a re-election on November the 3rd. So less than a month away, he's now tested positive for COVID. Three nights in hospital, but three very extraordinary nights. Normally people go into hospital, you don't see or hear from them. We've had video after video. Uh, We've had tweet after tweet, even talking about the plague. And then last night we had the drive-by with his uh, security detail to wave uh, to his supporters outside the medical centre. Um, what do you make of it all? Well, I think this is very typically Donald Trump. This is a man, this is a president who is determined to project strength and normality and to show that he has not been overcome by the plague, as it were. And I think he's already turning his mind, if he survives the illness, to how he can turn Um, having caught it to his political advantage in the campaign against Joe Biden. And this is part of it. Well, this is it. I mean, the the, the conventional view, and I'm never quite sure that the conventional view ever holds when it comes to Donald Trump, was that, well, here's a man who's being um, tested on his failures to handle the coronavirus pandemic. We know that he downplayed it. He hasn't worn the mask. Um, He he didn't uh, take any of the measures which were recommended by his scientific and medical advisors. More than 200,000 Americans dead, one of the highest death tolls per capita uh, in the Western world. Um, and And that when coronavirus this front and centre stage in the campaign, he does badly on this. He's trying to move the debate onto the culture wars, Black Lives Matters, violence protests and the others, uh, but still the focus has been on COVID. Um, and yet somehow he is trying to turn him getting COVID not into a, a an inevitable defeat, which is what I think the conventional view was. Ha ha, there you are. He's he's proven how crazy his, his, uh, his own handling of this pandemic has been. Clearly he's going to lose now. He's trying to twist it and turn it into... A success and showing him as a man of strength and presumably also the idea that if he one does assume pulls through that look see this isn't that serious after all well julia this is what i i think the the two basic facts we don't yet know one is how ill is he secondly we don't know how this is playing with the voters uh, across the united states now absent uh those two facts One of the things we can say is that were he to survive, were he to come out of this in reasonable shape so that he could go back into the campaign and hold some of these enormous rallies, which are his real political strength, um, I think he would be able to stimulate a massive sympathy vote 
which could close the polling gap, which now exists in Joe Biden's favor. Um, I, 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 I lean to the hypothesis, hypothesis, too early in the morning to say that word, um, <laughs> that overall, if he survives, this will work to his political advantage. Now, I may be completely wrong because there are millions of people out there saying to Trump, serves you bloody well right. Uh, you've played this down and now you've caught the thing and uh, you know, hard cheese. Uh, but I think there will be more people who will rally to his standard if he says to them, look, I met the plague and I defeated it. This is the true American spirit. Let's carry on making America great again. I think that would play very strongly. And it certainly is when you look at the responses to his tweets, which generally obviously from people who, who just think you know, he's absolutely wonderful. Uh, and, uh, and and they, they are, they are. I mean, I think... I think most people's reaction to the drive-by was, oh, my God, what is he doing? Security detail in the car is supposed to be recovering uh, from a serious virus. Um, and and the reaction to his tweet from his fans was, was sort of delirium uh, uh, and happiness. Um, but this is the thing. When when you're talking about Donald Trump, all all conventional views go out the window, don't they, in terms of how politics yeah. We have yeah. seen national polling that suggests that Joe Biden is up and that he is doing better as a result of this. But there is also an element where we're all talking about only Trump. We're not talking about Joe Biden. Uh, he's not getting a look in in the national media. And whenever the talk is just about Donald Trump, surely that doesn't play well for the Democrats. Well, I don't think it does play well for the Democrats. because, In, a, <clears throat> in effect, uh, Trump is sucking the political oxygen out of the atmosphere, and there's none left for Joe Biden. And that's why I say what we don't know and what we need to know is which way all this is cutting with the American voter. Uh, we don't know whether this is bringing undecideds over to the Trump side or whether it's confirming them uh, in the unwisdom of, 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 of voting for him and not for Joe Biden. We just don't know. And you say uh, every president, every conventional wisdom we've ever known has been smashed by Donald Trump. Absolutely true, including not telling porkies in public on the at the presidential podium. But the interesting thing about this phenomenon, which we've seen over four years now, is that doesn't seem to weaken him that much in the public's esteem. Uh, I mean, he's done and said things which would have destroyed a British politician uh, within half an hour. He goes on. He survives. The polls have been incredibly stable at the national level and at the battleground state level now for months. This is an extraordinary phenomenon considering what kind of president he is. And that is why I say we do have to keep in our minds the thought that this is going to play well for him if it doesn't kill him. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, he is 74. He uh, he is obese, technically. He's got a BMI of, of 30. Um, and, and and there is, you know, the, the, there, there are two big risk factors there. Um, given how this plays out against him versus Joe Biden, though, Joe Biden's a little bit older. Uh, there have been concerns about his, uh, you know, his sort of slightly dodgy interviews and, and, and performances a few times. Um, the... the in sort of trying to imply this sort of look, I'm ill with the virus, but I'm still a stronger man than the opposition. Does that sort of, um, I mean, really almost childlike, you know, judgment of politics, does that does that play very big in America? Is that, I mean, I, I imagine it plays very big in lots of different countries, including ours, that actually it's just the, the, just the imagery is, is almost more important than anything else. 
Yeah, well, I think that is important. And I think it probably plays more strongly in the United States than most other countries. Uh, I think what Americans like to have are strong leaders. They like strong leadership. They like to see a profile in courage, if you like, to borrow JFK's uh, phrase. And um, Joe Biden doesn't get anywhere near that. What he's projecting is return to normality, decency, respect for the common man. Let's get back to the way in which the United States ought to be. And in a, scores of different ways, Donald Trump has smashed conventions which have been hallowed over, over decades. All that said, if you project the ability to lead more than your political opponent, it gives you a lot of bonus points when it comes to polling day. We shall wait and see. Not long to wait, just a few weeks now to polling day on the 3rd of November. So, Christopher Mayer, thank you so much for joining us, former UK ambassador to the United States. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. It seems like a very, very long time ago now, a lifetime away, but only a few months ago, uh, Lawrence Fox, the actor, was invited on to Question Time and he caused something of a stir uh, when he basically said, stop calling white people racist uh, and uh, actually said that it was racist to uh, to do that. Uh, and he caused such a stir that, um, well, he came on this show. He's uh, got a huge number, hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter. And now he's setting up his own political party. Well, I'm delighted to welcome Lawrence Fox to the show for his first exclusive broadcast interview about that. And he joins us right now. Good morning to you, Lawrence. Morning, Julia. Good morning. I'm very well indeed. Well, I mean, you you were a very successful actor from one of uh, uh, Britain's sort of uh, most exclusive, powerful acting dynasties. Uh, Now, though, you appear to be both a a hero and a villain in equal measure uh, to the nation uh, for what you said on Question Time and your pronouncements since on uh, on Twitter and elsewhere. Uh, Why did you decide to set up a new political party? 
because I don't believe that the vast proportion of people are represented by the current political party, which uh, parties which feel like we're in a one-party state of lockdown, essentially. And uh, I think we need to reclaim the national conversation and take some pride in our legacy and our contribution to the world, you know, via democracy and common law and language and all of these things, so that we have a sort of shared sense of identity, something we can get behind, rather than this navel-gazing self-loathing that seems to have taken over the way that we think about ourselves. Well, indeed, I mean, certainly the self-loathing is something I think the vast majority of British people don't identify with at all, but it's something, you know, the liberal elite seem to be obsessed with. Uh, you've been very much associated with the idea that you that you must be a Brexiteer, um, a right-winger, and like, but your background is actually, you're a former Labour voter, you actually voted Remain in the 2016 referendum. Do you think that the, the British public really know who Lawrence Fox is? What, what, what should they know about you that you think hasn't really got across in your pronouncements on Question Time, interviews since, and your tweets? Well, as far as voting remain, I was so surprised that um, once the vote had come in, that democracy wasn't going to be upheld. So that's where I, I got very bothered myself. And as far as um, who I am as a person, I think um, I, I can never not be accused of oversharing. <laughs> that is certainly the case. Um, you've certainly been oversharing an awful lot on social media in the last few days. Um, you, like many people in the public eye who express uh, any issues with Oh, I mean, pretty much anything now, um, certainly with the culture wars, will instantly get targeted and labelled with the word racist. Um, that word is now thrown around so much, it's almost become meaningless uh, as an insult. But I certainly, for you and for me, I think for most people listening, to be called a racist is, is one of the worst things that you could possibly be called. Uh, I've certainly had to call in lawyers before uh, because of, of, of that. Um, you have adopted a new technique for dealing with people who call you a racist. What have you done? Well, I think if one is going to throw around a baseless uh, an accusation uh, of racism, which, as you say, historically could destroy people's careers and actually has destroyed people's careers in many ways up and down the country, to, to throw around these baseless accusations, I think, well, if you're going to do that, then why not? If that's the game, why not throw around some baseless accusations in return? I happen to think it's probably not the wisest strategy, but you know, it was a, I'd had a very long week, and I, and I, 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 I think myself and others feel find it very, very difficult and hurtful to be called a racist without any evidence whatsoever. But and you, but you retorted to a number of people on social media over the weekend with, "Well, you're a paedophile." And a number mm. of people have said, well, uh, I'm going to have to call the lawyers in for that. But you made the point, and I think Douglas Murray has actually argued this, is that if someone calls you a racist uh, with no basis whatsoever, they're responding, well, you're a paedophile, and then being shocked by that, that the response should be, well, I thought that's what we were doing. I thought we were just name-calling, or are we having a conversation? When you retort and call somebody a paedophile, I mean, you are opening yourself up to some very serious libel costs there for unfair accusations. But, but do you think that is justified given the slurs that are are, are, are sort of thrown at you I, do, I just don't think it's the i don't think two wrongs make a right with them um, on reflection i don't think one should play their game ultimately i don't think it's it's the right if you're trying to adopt a, a more principled stand then 
playing their game is not not the wisest move. So I don't think I was it was genius move for myself. Okay, well look, let's go back to uh, what you're going to be doing with your party. Um, it's not fixed yet the name, but called Reclaim Party. Um, why why have you well why are you looking at that as the name of your party? Um, because we, it's reclaiming something that until very recently was was part of our culture, you know, and um, it all comes together in forms of the fact that we need to be able to have reasoned debate about life, not not this single uh, single variant analysis that you know, for example, we're all racists, which is the which is part of this critical race theory. But we need to be able to look at things in a much more nuanced way. And if you can have a reasoned debate between people then you can find out what it is that we're looking at that might need reform. So our institutions, for example, the BBC certainly with their largely peaceful protests and um, the way that different protests are policed in different ways. My um, former alma mater, RADA, writing messages saying that we're a systemically racist country. And all of this stuff is absolutely not true. It's not backed up by any data. And then you've got supermarkets um, saying that, that they're bringing in segregated racial spaces, which is basically saying if black people need a safe space at Sainsbury's, then the implication, therefore, is they need to be they need to be kept safe from white people. And that I thought we dealt with in the uh, civil rights movement. So. Um, and yeah, does it, that. does it, I mean, we talked about, you know, having the slur, you know, racist thrown against you. Does it surprise you, though, that our debate has become like this? I think a lot of us thought the culture wars would be over and we had a proper problem to deal with. So people would be less concerned about, you know, personal pronouns uh, and people taking offence on Twitter once we actually had a, you know, a pandemic and then an economic crisis to deal with. But it seems to have almost made the situation worse. I don't know if it's because more people are sitting at home on, on social media rather than out and about. But what the issue is... Um, do you think though that the right way of dealing with this is is setting up your own political party, or would it make more sense to try and influence the political parties that already exist? Because Nigel Farage, who I know you've met with and spoken to about your your plans, um, he you know set up uh, uh, the the UKIP and then well he didn't set it up but became leader of UKIP and then and then set up the Brexit party. Huge influence, undoubtedly, on on what actually happened in terms of Brexit, getting the vote, um, the the vote actually being uh, put into in, into action, Boris Johnson's election and others. But he never actually got himself elected as an MP. So, do you expect with your party to have influence, sort of shifting the culture of other parties, or do you expect to yourself ever get elected? Well, I think we've already had some influence in the uh, in the very short period of time that we've been um, up and running. And as you know, we got sort of slightly rumbled a little earlier than I anticipated. So no, the the, the goal is to get elected, absolutely, a hundred percent. And um, I think, uh, but should one not get elected, that is also fine. The government do need to be held to account over these cultural issues because they are really tearing at the very fabric of our society. And they're, and, they're, and they're dragging us back in a very regressive way. And it's like we've, we're not even on our own side anymore. And um, I think the vast majority of British people feel that we're, we're, we're a tolerant and loving and, you know, an excellent place to live. And um, so, you know, yes, absolutely, I intend to get elected. But at the same time, I can create uh, the effectiveness of the Brexit Party and the effectiveness of UKIP will be uh, leave a legacy which is 
it was something to be proud of. Uh, will you be? Of. Do you think a lot of people will see you though as a right wing party? This somehow seems to become a left wing, right wing issue. And I, again, I don't see why it should be. Whether you love your country and think it's actually a nice place for the vast majority of people to live, shouldn't be a, a left wing, right wing issue. But will you be seen as a right wing party? In which case, would you just be in risk of, along with the Brexit party, splitting the Tory vote? And, and opening the way to the Labour Party and people taking the knee and, and, and uh, having, uh, uh, you know, um, con- unconscious bias training, uh, compulsory, etc., etc. Would you actually then perhaps end up defeating your own cause by splitting the vote? I don't believe we're, uh, we are um, right or left in that way. I don't believe these, I think these issues are bipartisan. I don't think that, I think it's more, it's more a question of whether you're authoritarian or anti-authoritarian actually, in the end of the day. Um, I certainly think Keir Starmer's shot himself in the foot because he's um, drunk the Kool-Aid of critical race theory. And um, so Labour are going to be a very difficult uh, party to elect, I think, until they take a long, hard look at what critical race theory is trying to do to Western democracy, uh, which is uh, destroy it and tear it apart. So, um, you know, yeah. Do you believe... Do you believe you've got the the funding and the organisation to actually run a campaign, the local elections next year? I mean, general election, we haven't got till 2024. Um, There's talk that you've had a a donation from Jeremy Hosking. He's a Brexiteer, former Conservative donor, and that he's the one who originally approached you about setting up a new party. Five million pounds. Is that true? That's true. Yeah, we're fully funded up to the next general election. Wow. And have you got any um, high profile supporters you're going to be uh, uh, bringing out for us? I mean, is Nigel Farage going to be a convert? I think Nigel Farage has um, made some amazing contributions to British politics, but he's not involved. You'll see, Julia, when we um, when we launch, officially launch, you'll see what the quality of the wonderful people that will be rolling out and giving people an opportunity to vote for. And do you think you're going to be generally a, a force that is going to be reckoned with? Or do you think this is going to be a little moment in history while we deal with the other big issues? And, and do you do worry that actually this isn't going to this isn't going to change anything? Or do you think the culture wars are something that can be defeated by by a, an actor turned politician? I think that it's been the long march through the institutions of trying to demoralise us as a Western democracy has been taking 40 years, at least, at the very least, some would say 80 years. So um, I think I certainly don't think it's an easy job and um, I don't think it will be done overnight. But, um, you know, with the areas that I'm looking at and looking at really seriously in terms of education and uh, giving young people of all different backgrounds the equality of opportunity that they absolutely deserve and that this country stands behind can begin the process of reversing the long march through the institutions of the Okay. Just, just finally, before I let you go, um, you use—I mean, you've already shot to fame. You've been obviously a, a well-known actor, very successful actor, uh, and uh, were known to many in the country already. But after that Question Time in, um, performance, uh, you you became sort of notorious uh, as well as famous. Um, looking back now, do you regret? speaking out as you did on Question Time. Would you have had an easier, happier life, continued with your acting career, um, perhaps uh, just carried on as you were? Do you do you regret speaking out? Absolutely not, no. I think that what I said then, I stand by now. 
And um, if anything, I feel blessed uh, because I feel duty bound and compelled to you know, continue to send the message to this country that it's okay to be patriotic, it's okay to be proud of being British. It's, uh, it's great that we try and find something to unite behind. So question time, as much as it's had some uh, interesting effects on other aspects of my life, it's also given me even more confidence that these, these issues need to be addressed. And certainly the, the, we need to out the people that are really trying to tear down this wonderful country and promote those voices that are trying to build it up. Lawrence Fox, thank you very much indeed for joining us, actor, and of course now the uh, new boss, the head of the Reclaim Party. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Love to get your thoughts on that. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from six thirty until ten. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.